From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, unable to move forward on the massive reconciliation bill, the Senate has shifted to the National Defense Authorization Act, but it too has problems like forcing women to register for the draft. The Senate has about a thousand amendments to work through to vote on the bill. We'll get the latest from Montana Senator Steve Daines on this all-important funding bill for the military. And Senate Republicans are using the Congressional Review Act to try and strike down President Biden's COVID shot mandate. How does that provision work? Will it work? We'll find out in just a moment. And speaking of the COVID mandate, is the Biden administration violating the First Amendment with a de facto religious test via a government questionnaire that is designed to evaluate the legitimacy of religious conviction of those that are exempt, that are seeking an exemption to the COVID shot? We'll find out when we talk with Commissioner Andrea Lucas, a member of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And one of the first initiatives I worked on with the Trump administration in 2016 was to get the president to issue an executive order on religious freedom. It happened in May of 2016 when the Department of Justice was given direction to provide guidance to agencies throughout the federal government. And then one by one, they took actions changing their policies to be in line with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Well, the Biden administration is now dismantling those religious freedom protections agency by agency. It has been reported that the Department of Health and Human Services is going to release a memo this week rolling back religious protections in that agency, which, next to the Department of Defense, is the largest. Roger Severino, a former director of the Office of Civil Rights at HHS, joins us later with the details. And more on the FBI and their tracking of parents who get involved in local school matters. We now know that the infamous memo from the National School Board Association equating parents to domestic terrorists was the product of collusion between the NSBA and the Biden White House. Even though NSBA apologized for their letter, Attorney General uh, Garrett, uh, Mar Merrick Garland excuse me, uh, has downplayed his memo, new information indicates the targeting of parents continues. We'll talk with Chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs, about this latest development. And finally, the Department of State releasing their list of countries that violate religious freedom. What they missed is disturbing. We'll talk about it with Leela Gilbert, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom here at FRC. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you, FRC is leading an effort for national prayer taking place on the evening of Sunday, November the 28th, just days before the U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in the major abortion case, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, on December the 1st. Now, this is the case that will directly challenge the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. This is a prayer event. It'll be live. You can be a part of it. It'll be coming to you from Jackson, Mississippi, at New Horizon Church. It'll begin at 7 p.m. Central Time. To find out more, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word together to 67742 to find out how you can be a part of it. All right, earlier today, Senate Republicans, all 50 of them, now this is unique, all 50 of them filed a formal challenge against President Biden's shot or test mandate for businesses under the Congressional Review Act, which is the official process by which Congress can eliminate executive branch rules. The resolution has been referred to the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, 
which will then review it before it is eligible for a vote on the Senate floor. With us now to talk more about this is Senator Steve Daines of Montana. Senator, welcome back to the program. Glad to join you, Tony. All right, give us the latest on this. Uh, all 50 Republican senators, that's news in and of itself that they're all in agreement. I tell you what, to get all 50 of us on the same page is, is a great accomplishment. We're standing firm because we formally filed a challenge to this top-down mandate. You know, for every everything we're doing here, we're trying to help these small businesses keep their doors open, allowing people to get back to work. I hear more about this vaccine mandate at the moment probably than any other issue. The concerns that so many Americans have, and in my case, Montanans have, about what this will do to small businesses to shutter doors and force workers out. Uh, this is really, in many ways, Washington, D.C. overreach at its very worst. I think it's unconstitutional. I think it's unlawful. And the good news is we've got uh, 50 Republicans standing firm that will uh, require a vote. So what, what, what this does, Tony, the way the act works is it actually forces a vote. It's a simple 51 vote uh, threshold to get this done. So what's the time frame here? How will this play out and what are the prospects that it could succeed? Yeah, well, what we're going to need here is uh, just one Democrat to support this. I'm hoping there'll be one brave Democrat that could join 50 Republicans, a Democrat that's listening to the people they serve back home who are saying this mandate is overreach. It's going to hurt our businesses, it's going to hurt families, it's going to uh, create job loss. And, and so I, I think we're looking at something here. We want to get this done uh, sometime in December would be our goal. And I think that's reasonable because this is a very urgent issue. We've got to get this done here before this mandate is put in place. Now, and I want to be clear, Tony, I, I support the vaccine. I've had the vaccine. My wife's had the vaccine. Uh, I'm not opposed to the vaccine, but that should be a choice right. that you make between yourself and your healthcare advisor. I'm just opposed strongly to these mandates. Right. I, I agree. I've said on this program many times, not against the vaccine. If you want to get the vaccine or you, you're in a, a high risk health category, I recommend that you do get it. Talk to your health care provider. But I do not think the government should be telling you um, what vaccines you should get and when you should get them. Um, on a related note to this, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals yesterday won uh, the lottery to hear the legal challenges to this a mandate on private businesses. So now it'll be up to the Sixth Circuit to decide whether to lift the stay that the Fifth Circuit put in place uh, last Friday. Um, and the Sixth Circuit's pretty conservative as well. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, I'll tell you what, Tony, it's moments like this. And we predicted this when President Trump was in office of how important it was to have good judges on the bench. And one of President Trump's greatest accomplishments was working with the Republican Senate to put these circuit court judges on the bench. These are lifetime appointments. Of course, we've got the three Supreme Court justices, but the circuit courts, as you talked about in the Sixth Circuit, uh, this is gonna be a very important ruling. Thank God for Trump appointed judges. In the Fifth Circuit, it was two Trump judges and a Reagan judge. Uh, and so this is why judges really matter. We always worry if the other side got control of Washington, D.C., how do we stop their tyranny? It's through the courts. And thank God for these, these good judges we have across many of our circuit courts. Yeah, I, I want to pause on that for just a moment because uh, so often we can just pass right over that. But you were so right. 
you know, 10 years ago, we would have never been looking to the courts for any type of relief. Uh, they were usually sticking it to us because they were activist judges. But uh, Donald Trump made the appointments, and I would say Mitch McConnell and the other Republicans in the Senate helped shepherd those through. But I will say this is a great accomplishment for Mitch McConnell, who, uh, who helped work this through the process and, of course, the quality individuals that the Trump administration picked. But I well, don't... Tony, just on that point, too, you know, we, we can make a good law or a bad law that can be changed in a future Congress. These judges are appointments for life. In many ways, it's perhaps the single most important vote you cast as a United States senator are these votes for judges. Yeah, so true. And um, this moment where we're actually our freedom, because this mandate, it's not going to stop here with this mandate. If government feels like they can do it now, uh, there's going to be something else in the future that they'll try to force on the American people. So having judges who are constitutionalists, who are originalists, who will look at the Constitution and simply interpret what it says and the boundaries that it created for government and interpret the actions based upon that, that gives us hope that we can then work our way uh, back to changing those who are making these policies so that we don't have to face this again. Couldn't agree more. And you mentioned earlier in the program, Tony, about uh, that Dobbs case, speaking of judges, the fact that we have the United States Supreme Court now, thanks to President Trump and Republican senators, where the president got to appoint three new justices, we have an opportunity before us to overturn Roe v. Wade, to reverse, to reverse a provision that's accounted for some 62 million babies being aborted. That's huge. I mean, this is, we're nearly 50 years into this, 48 years, 50 years into this, we could be at the moment to see this reversed. And it goes back, as you said, to judges. But I will say this, additionally, I think we got to the point of being able to appoint judges because we had pro-lifers involved politically who elected men and women like you uh, to Congress. You're the chairman of the Senate uh, Pro-Life uh, Life Committee. Uh, we've got men and women in state legislatures across the country because men and women of faith got involved. And so this is one of those moments where we shouldn't allow the bad stuff to discourage us from the involvement and the engagement that we've had. Tony couldn't agree more. And something that I advise uh, men and women who are running for office on the issue of life is lean into it, embrace it, stand for life, stand for those who can't stand for themselves, uh, articulate it in a winsome and persuasive way. It's a winning issue for us, Tony. And I just want to keep telling those who are running for office as conservatives, don't go hide on the issue of life. Get out there in front of it, articulate it well. And as you've seen, uh, pro-life is a winning issue for us in this country. It is, because we've been standing up and defending it. Uh, Senator, before we run out of time, I want to shift gears for just a moment, Senator Daines, to the issue of the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, the Senate has turned its attention to that, about a 1,000 amendments waiting out there. Uh, you've got some concerns about uh, the National Defense Authorization Act. You've also got some amendments that I think you're going to be offering as well. I do, Tony, and let me just, since we're talking about the Defense Authorization Act, thank you for your service to the United States Marine Corps, having had Veterans Day last week, and my father's a Marine as well. But we, we have the, the greatest military in the world, and many women proudly choose to serve, but we should not, and we don't need to force our daughters, sisters, our wives, to fight in the name of, quote, equality. Uh, that's why I oppose allowing or mandating that women 
are part of the draft. So we're reviewing the bill. We're going to introduce several amendments to make it better, including an amendment that would strike the language requiring women to enter the draft. I think it's a really bad idea for our country. I agree. I, I've served alongside of women and thankful that they want to serve. In fact, I haven't talked to my own daughters. I've got three daughters. And if they want to serve, I encourage them to do that. But to force them is another story. And, and I think we've never done that in the 100 years of our, since we've, we had a draft 100 years ago, it's now been kind of shelved for the last 50. Uh, but just the registration process that's been in place for 100 years to force women to participate in that against their will, I just don't think it speaks good for our nation. No, I don't either, Tony. And, and, and I'm in a similar boat. You have three daughters. We have two daughters. We have two sons. And we now have a new uh, granddaughter as well. Uh, and I, if they, if any of them decided they wanted to volunteer to serve, I'd be so honored and would encourage them to do so if they want to do that. But that's a very different discussion than to think that the federal government then would start drafting right. women, forcing conscription. Uh, that, I think, is something we do not want to do as a country. I think you're right. Absolutely right, Senator Steve Daines. Always great to talk with you. We're going to be watching that. It's going to take a while for you to work through those 1,000 amendments, but we'll, uh, we'll be tracking it very closely. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Tony. All right, Senator Steve Daines of Montana, as I mentioned, the chairman of the pro-life conference there in the Senate. Great guy. All right, coming up next, the Biden administration, are they violating the First Amendment with a de facto religious test? We're going to be talking about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans, it's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. How can you teach your children about the pitfalls of addiction? Important question. The number one drug in our country is alcohol. You listen to Proverbs 23, verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red and sparkling in the cup. When it swirls around smoothly, at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. No alcoholism invades homes like the poison of a venomous snake. What if, by seeing you drink beer or wine or any other alcoholic beverages, what if your child should grow up and become an alcoholic? We have all seen what alcohol can do in a home. Let us challenge you to abstain from anything that might lead your child into a lifestyle of abuse or addiction. Why not fill your home with some good things to drink? Our kiddos love lemonade. And besides, I've never heard of anyone becoming addicted to lemonade. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace at HopeForTheHome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. That one of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was a legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Contact information also for your members of Congress, for the senators, if you want to contact them. All right, last month, concerns were raised over the intrusive and hostile nature of the Biden administration's questionnaire for evaluating requests for religious exemptions to vaccine mandates. The questionnaire had been provided as a template to federal agencies, but was also made available to private companies looking for a model for their own accommodation process. Well, not long after, a number of red flags were being raised as people looked at it. The administration then altered its questionnaire, but still concerns remain. Joining me now to talk about this is Andrea Lucas. She is a commissioner uh, on the Equal Opportunity, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, Commissioner Lucas, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. I'm so glad to be here. So is the Biden administration with this questionnaire, I mean, it looks like what they're trying to do is determine whether or not someone's religious claims are legitimate. Are they not crossing a line with a kind of a de facto religious test themselves? They definitely did cross a line, Tony. Um, there's no question that as a default, we should not be presuming uh, insincerity of someone's religious beliefs. Um, the, the law is very clear that you need to have some objective basis to do a very limited inquiry. But here, there's no question that the original version of the template was assuming insincerity right from the start um, and then subjecting people to some really intrusive information, um, including things that could get into theological debates and uh, also probe medical information um, without any reason to doing that. Um, and even though they've yanked uh, back that template after scrutiny, um, it's not clear that uh, whether or not agencies are updating the forms they're using, nor is it clear how many uh, private employers may have decided to use that inappropriate template as a model. Um, so, uh, yeah, they definitely did cross a line there. Andrea, when you look at religious freedom, historically, as, as under RIFRA, the Re Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and someone were to uh, appeal to for an exemption on something usually it's the, the the standard is if it's a genuine sincere religious belief but as you said there were seven questions in this original uh, questionnaire that went very deep and and almost started from a point of suspicion trying to prove the individual wrong 
Yep. I, you know, I, I, I suspect that there was a desire to uh, limit the number of religious discrimination claims and, and to do that by assuming that people were not uh, sincere, which is really just not, not the assumption. Um, you should be talking about the practical uh, ways about whether or not you can accommodate someone. You shouldn't be um, starting right off uh, the bat with a bad faith assumption about uh, your own employees. That's just the wrong um, that's the wrong uh, way to take to go after things. And it's just a, it's really just depicting in my mind hostility to religious employees. Um, and I know I'm also very concerned that it depicts a, a hostility to people who are pro-life because um, as many of us are familiar, there's quite a, a bit of concern about uh, fetal cell line involvement that is driving many of these religious accommodation requests. Um, and we've seen the Biden administration is clearly hostile to pro-life uh, individuals. So the fact that that kind of confluence uh, is there too, I, I think this speaks to hostility towards religion and to people who have pro-life uh, uh, beliefs. So as a commissioner on the EEOC, what would be your warning to private employers that may have taken this questionnaire using it, looking to implement their own corporate vaccine policies, either voluntary, voluntarily or in an attempt to comply with OSHA? What should these private employees be aware of in terms of potentially violating the religious freedoms of their employees? I'd say stay away from that prior template and look instead to the EEOC's uh, accommodation form, which we posted recently on our website, uh, uh, which is an unusual act, but um, in light of how many questions we're receiving, we, we posted it. Um, that's a better model for a compliant religious accommodation form. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'd say that keep in mind that not only might you, if you uh, screw up the religious accommodation process, not only might you incur uh, accommodation-related claims, but you can also easily veer into religious harassment claims, religious discrimination claims, or uh, religious retaliation claims. So um, there's a broad array of liability that can be associated with um, messing up this process. Um, so, Commissioner, then, is the EEOC a possible outlet for those employees who feel like their religious freedom claims have been ignored, violated, uh, or they're being harassed because they filed for a religious exemption? Yes, absolutely. Um, and in fact, we just updated our uh, some of our technical assistance, which provides easy, uh, frequently asked questions related to um, accommodations, retaliation, uh, vaccine requirements. Uh, just today, we were updated our retaliation uh, section of that guidance. And, and we note that uh, employees who complain about harassing comments that might be made about their religious objections to vaccines are, of course, protected from retaliation. Um, so uh, just a, a great recent update uh, reminding employers and employees uh, of the rights around uh, anti-retaliation. Um, you should absolutely file a charge if you feel like your rights have been violated. Final uh, question for you, Commissioner Lucas. Who would this apply to? Is this just in the private sector, federal employees? Who falls under the benefits of the work of the EEOC? 
uh, a wide array of uh, employees. So federal employees should first file a uh, internal complaint within their own agencies, but eventually they could end up before the EEOC's jurisdiction. Um, federal contractors, which are in the private sector but have a federal involvement, those employees can file uh, directly with the EEOC for a charge. And then just pure private sector employees um, of just an ordinary uh, company, they can also file directly with the EEOC. And we have a user-friendly portal that you can file your your initial intake inquiry, um, and then you'll be helped uh, through the process of filing a charge. Very good. Uh, Commissioner Lucas, thank you for uh, joining us today and for uh, bringing attention to some of these uh, troubling matters and also pointing people to a place where they might be able to get some help. Good to talk with you today. Thanks so much. So I would encourage you to check that out. Uh, go to TonyPerkins.com. We've got some links there. Maybe you have been one of those employees that had a private employer or federal employer that uh, rejected your claim outright or maybe is harassing you because you attempted to exercise that exempted, uh, exemption. Uh, so check it out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, coming up next, this administration rolling back religious freedom agency by agency. Roger Severino is here next. Don't go away. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Well, inflation pressures are easy, are they? At least that's what the Federal Reserve says, that the inflation pressures are easing. I'm not sure uh, where that's coming from. This is the same Federal Reserve that said inflation pressures weren't inflation pressures at all. They were just some sort of transitory situation that was going to be over very soon. Just so you know, that was back in March. They then came around and said, well, maybe it's not so transitory and maybe inflation could be around longer than we assume. Now they're saying inflation pressures are going to ease and they're not going to be around much longer. Are you confused? I think shoppers are doing what shoppers do. First, they're beginning to change their buying habits. And why shouldn't they be? They're worried about higher Inflation, higher food prices, higher utility bills, yes, higher gasoline prices. They're worrying about the economy slowing down so much that it's going to lead to their jobs slowing down and potentially even layoffs. All of these things are the things that start wandering through the minds of consumers. Retail sales rose faster than expected, they're saying, in October. They rose faster than expected in October because I think there were a number of people too afraid of inflation and higher fuel prices not to start doing a little Christmas shopping as early as possible. Add on to that supply chain worries, and they thought they better get shopping a little bit sooner. Let's see what November looks like in the next 15 days. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. From coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life on November the 28th to find out how you can be a part of this nationwide prayer event on Sunday night, November the 28th at 7 p.m. Central Time. Text the word TOGETHER 
to 67742. That's the word together to 67742. Former President Trump made conscience protections, religious freedom, a priority in his White House. The Biden administration, eh, not so much so. Earlier today, Fox News broke the story that the Health and Human Services Department, HHS, is considering revoking authority the former Trump administration delegated for the Office of Civil Rights, that's OCR, to prevent violations of religious liberty. Now, HHS happens to be next to the Department of Defense, pretty big department, the largest. This is prompting concerns about conscience protection under the present secretary, Secretary Becerra. What does this mean in layman's term? What does it mean to you? How could this affect religious freedom? Here to break it down for us is Roger Severino, who served as the director of the Office of Civil Rights in HHS under President Trump. He is currently senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Roger, welcome back to the program. How are you doing, Tony? I'm, I'm doing well. So let's start right there. What does this mean in layman's terms? Break it down for us. It is a full-scale retreat from protection for religious freedom at HHS. Now remember, HHS was the agency that hounded the Little Sisters of the Poor, threatened them with millions of dollars in fines for not providing contraceptive coverage for fellow nuns. They were protected by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Supreme Court recognized that protection. And when I was head of OCR, we said, this is a problem. This should never happen again. So we instituted reforms to make sure that law and the First Amendment would be institutionalized as a protection. We'd be our own watchdogs in HHS, just like every other civil right. We stood up a conscious religious freedom division with career professionals to police this right, and they are trying to shut this down and reverse it by stripping it of all their authorities. It is shameful. So what we're seeing throughout this Biden administration is basically dismantling the firewall protection around religious freedom. But this change in particular in the Department of HHS, isn't this going against what Secretary Becerra promised during his confirmation hearing? Oh, absolutely. He was a known quantity. He was my main antagonist when I was enforcing conscience laws twice. We found him to be the one responsible for violating the rights of pro-life pregnancy resource centers and also requiring universal abortion coverage again for nuns. He cost the state $200 million in Medicaid funds, and now he's the fox guarding the hen house. He, this is nothing more than retaliation against the same office that found him to be responsible for conscience violations. The irony is just extraordinary. He was a known quantity. Congress asked him about this multiple times, and he promised up and down that things wouldn't change, that he would respect conscience. And his actions to date have proven that to be absolutely false. And if he does this, he will formalize it and make it an exclamation point on the anti-religious regime that we now have in the White House and at HHS. So, Roger, give us some examples. I know certainly the life issue that you pointed to, uh, care pregnancy centers and, and other issues like that, but it's much further reaching that. It's, let our listeners know mm -hmm. just how, how significant this change is. Sure. RIFRA is a federal law passed in 1993 with bipartisan support that says you cannot burden people's religions, religious faith if you're the federal government. We use this to good effect to make sure that adoption agencies that are faith-based would have an equal seat at the table. They would not have to abandon their religious beliefs to partner with the federal government. We saw the Supreme Court take this case up recently and say, yes, you have a right as a religious organization to be in the adoption space and follow your beliefs about marriage. And we are uh, we try to institute that protection 
throughout, not just on the question of abortion or same-sex marriage or any of those, any question of a burden on religion. You could be a minority religion, you could be Hindu, Muslim, you could be Native American on federal land that's being burdened by some federal regulation. We see that, that the, if the government does not pay attention to this, just like on civil rights, if you don't have a dedicated unit, then people's religious liberty is going to suffer no matter what your faith is. So we could once again see the Little Sisters of the Poor in the crosshairs of the federal government. Absolutely. What, the, what they're saying is, don't worry about it. We don't need to have any focus on it. We, we, will, we will abide by the law, which really means just go ahead and sue us, because that's what it was before. Right. It, they don't see that their obligation starts with the federal government to control itself. And that's what the Religious Freedom Restoration Act does. It says the government cannot, it is a burden on the government to not burden people's religious freedom unless they have a compelling government interest. We saw them try to do this with uh, this sort of inquisitorial boards they were trying to set up in the Coast Guard on the COVID vaccine when it right. came to exemptions to the mandate for religious accommodation. If you don't have somebody with expertise looking over their shoulder, just like with every other civil right, those rights are going to be violated. But the, the Biden and the Becerra crew simply does not respect those rights. They're proven that they're going out of their way to take a gratuitous swipe at people of faith and try to exclude them by saying, you know what, sue us. That's the way you're going to defend your rights. Wow. Amazing. Roger Severino, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, filling us in on this uh, breaking news. Good to see you. Thank you. Folks, this is, uh, you know, We've said many, many times elections have consequences, and, and this is what we have. We such a contrast. You know, we had a previous administration. I worked with Roger and others to ensure we had religious liberty protections throughout the federal government. The president made it a priority. It was a priority in our federal uh, policy domestically, but also in our foreign policy. Now look what we have. Elections have consequences. Speaking of other consequences, coming up next, uh, FBI has set up a process to track, quote, instances of related threats by parents across the U.S. What does that mean? What's, uh, what's going on here? Well, we're going to talk uh, more with, uh, about this with Andy Biggs, congressman from Arizona, next. Don't go away. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. 
Find the podcast at AFR.net. Listen to the French accent that she puts on when talking to these guys. We campaign with the plan. The plan. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States. Keto. Keto, you feel. Just doing a French does, accent. Does your dog bite? Your the plane, the plane. <laughs> that too. Uh, all right, that's enough Kamala Harris reporting. Don't miss the next Today's Issues. Weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Pro-abortion politicians warn the Texas law ending abortion when the baby's heartbeat can be detected would cause such public outrage, pro-life Republicans would pay at the ballot box. It doesn't look that way. Another poll shows a majority of Texans support the Heartbeat Act. A majority of women, men, and independents support the legislation. So do a majority of Latinos and whites. About a quarter of the respondents think there should be exceptions for rape and incest, but a vast majority of them support the law even though they're not included. A similar poll in Missouri shows support for heartbeat legislation there. Early reports indicate the number of abortions in Texas has been cut in half, with expectations even more babies will be spared in the coming months. Praise God. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. In response to the U.S. Attorney General's controversial memo on the threats posed by concerned parents, the FBI has set up a process to track, quote, instances of related threats against school board members, administrators, teachers and staff. Now, as revealed in an internal internal email leaked by a whistleblower, the Counterterrorism and Criminal Division has created a special process to track what they call threats to educational personnel. Now, how do they define threats? What should we make of all of this? With me now to talk more about this is Congressman Andy Biggs, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, member of the House Judiciary Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you. And and I know you've got to run here just a moment to cast a vote on the House floor, so I appreciate you taking time to join us. But first, let me jump right into this. What is your response to this internal memo? I mean, we've seen this dribbling out piece by piece. We've seen this collusion between the White House and the National School Boards Association. Now the FBI not pulling back, but actually setting up a process to track parents. Yeah, so Tony, there's there's a lot of things to, to, to get at. Number one, I would say, This is a ridiculous Soviet-style surveillance program against people, particularly parents, who are going to show up at a school board meeting uh, on behalf of their children. I mean, that is just absolutely about as uh, abusive of power as we've ever seen. Then Then another thing is, I look at Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and he basically told us that he, he can't imagine ever categorizing parents as, as uh, white uh, domestic terrorists. He couldn't imagine ever using the Patriot Act. And yet the memo, the memo that went out the day before he testified to that, basically got right at that, talking about domestic terrorism and using the Patriot Act to go after parents. So that makes me, uh, makes me understand that either he was um, incompetent, that should scare us, 
or he was lying to Congress, and that should scare us. And um, I, with that, Tony, they just told me I've got to go vote. I apologize. <laughs> well, you gave us a, a mouthful. we got something to talk about here, so thanks so much for it. Run and vote. Appreciate you being here. Andy, thanks so much. We'll hey, catch hey, up Tony, with you. thanks. Uh, right. We'll do it again. All right, Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. The House Freedom Caucus, I've often said, you know, they tell you never to do live shows with uh, small children, animals, and members of Congress, because you never know if they're going to show up or where they got to go. But we completely understand. We appreciate them uh, stepping off the floor to, uh, to talk with us. Uh, but let me uh, continue on this for a minute before I shift gears to another topic. Um, with what the Attorney General testified before both the House and the Senate, as Congressman Biggs pointed out, either... Either he didn't know what was going on or he was lying. I think, of course, Democrats control both committees, so doing a follow-up is going to be difficult. But certainly Republican members of both the House Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee can ask questions in follow-up because there are a lot of contradictory um, statements that have come forth with the Freedom of Information Act requests that have revealed these memos, again, showing the collusion, that there was clear collusion between the White House and the National School Boards Association that wrote the letter equating parents, engaged parents, to domestic terrorists. And then uh, you have more information coming out, the Attorney General saying, oh, well, you know, we really didn't say that. That was what they said in their letter. But yet, internally, memos that were going out basically saying the same thing and engaging elements of the Department of Justice that are involved in terrorism, domestic terrorism. Why would you have counterterrorism assets working to track what parents say at public school board meetings? Again, I think the reason they're concerned, and it was validated, their concerns were validated in Virginia in the recent gubernatorial election where Glenn Youngkin won that race. In fact, we talked about this the other day on the program. The issue of education was what put him over the top because of the far-reaching efforts of the Democrats to push their woke agenda, their gender-confused agenda, the CRT, and parents pushed back on that. That's what they're afraid of. They know that this could be nationwide. And as I said before in the program, and in fact it was echoed, I don't know who it was last week we had on the program talking about this, is that this, I believe, will eclipse the Tea Party movement of uh, 2010. This parents' movement will eclipse that in 2022. And that's what they're afraid of. So my advice to you, keep going to those school board meetings, be involved, speak out. Know what your children are being taught in their schools and raise flags about it. You know, use the platforms you have to draw attention to it and do something about it. By the way, we have, we've coming, uh, coming up on Friday, we talked about this yesterday with Meg Kilgannon. On Friday, we'll be giving a kind of a report uh, from FRC Action on some of the successes, a lot of the successes in recent elections. It wasn't just in Virginia, but all across the country, a lot of school board victories. To find out more about how you can be a part of that, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, switching gears, 
Uh, today, the Biden administration and uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that the State Department's religious freedom designations uh, were being unveiled for several countries based upon violations of religious freedom. But the list is shocking. And, and I say this, um, I say this as the host of Washington Watch, and also I, I will say this as, uh, as a commissioner on the International Religious Freedom, the Commission on International Religious Freedom. What is shocking is who's not on the list. And uh, here to talk about this is FRC Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom, Leela Gilbert. Uh, Leela, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about the list for just a moment. Give us a quick overview of who's uh, who's on the list. But I want to spend our time talking about who's not on the list. Yeah, and that's that's a troublesome thing. On the list uh, is Burma, China, Eritrea, Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. Those are on the uh, countries of particular concern. I'll tell you who's not on there, and that's Nigeria. And what's significant about that is Nigeria, for the first time last year in the Trump administration, was placed on that after the uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom for years had been pointing to the problems in Nigeria, uh, the religious tensions, domestic, the, the violence that was taking place there based upon uh, religious uh, it was religious uh, motivated violence, they're not even on the special watch list. What's going on here? It's really unbelievable. Uh, there were, according to Voice of America, 50,000 Christians have been killed since 2019 in Nigeria. And we get reports pretty much every week, sometimes as many as 30 villagers slaughtered. I'm in touch with people on the ground there that go out and look to see who's left and how many refugees there are, and there are 30,000, 100,000. I, I just do not understand this. Uh, the other issue that happened, uh, Blinken was supposed to meet with uh, religious leaders on this trip. And we checked with every Christian group we could think of, uh, Protestants, Catholics, there was no con they didn't even know there was a meeting and apparently the meeting was never ha never happened and it was just taken off this the schedule altogether unless he met with with muslims and i don't know what happened to that yeah i, I didn't mention that uh, secretary blinken uh, is on his first diplomatic trip to africa and he made a stop in nigeria and i think the timing of that is quite significant that he went to nigeria and then this uh, list is released and you know i i I was anticipating that they were going to be removing him from the CPC list. Now, just for the benefit of our, our listeners that may not have heard us talk about this before, Nigeria, the most populous African country, quite significant country because of its whatever happens there will have the, has the possibility of impacting the entire continent uh, mm -hmm. as well as really if you have refugees coming out of Nigeria, it's going to affect Europe. We've got a population that's nearly split 50-50, you know, give or take, between Muslim and Christian. We've seen violence, but we've, what we have is we have a government that has done almost nothing to stop the violence against many of these uh, Christian villages and churches. In fact, as you just mentioned, just recently, there was a Baptist church where they took them all. Uh, out and we had uh, even 
on this program. We were talking with someone from Epic Times who a reporter was there reporting on this, and he was arrested for reporting on it. That's right. Well, the government has done worse than nothing in Nigeria. They have really, according to the people on the ground there, they assist in these things. They turn a blind eye at best, but there are sometimes military people involved in the massacres. So it's it's a very uh, much controlled by Fulani radicals, the government from the top down, and there's just absolutely no concern about these Christians. If anything, it's an effort to remove them from, from Nigeria, as far as I can tell. So I, 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 I'm having a hard time understanding how, under the present circumstances in Nigeria, the numbers tell the story, how the Biden administration could completely, completely, not just removing them to a second tier list or uh, moving them to a second tier list, but completely removing them from any identification at all with a, with a nation being plagued with religious freedom issues. It's really incomprehensible unless there's some backroom deal going on that we don't know about. But uh, we we can't say. I mean, it seems so obvious, and it was we were so grateful for Mike Pompeo's efforts and getting this done because the CPC list makes it possible to sanction governments and government actors. So it would have made it much easier to address this in a in a national way. And of course, now we don't have that left that option left anymore. Yeah, I should, uh, I guess I should have said at the, at the beginning, just because we're using a lot of uh, D.C. terminology, but a CPC country of particular concern. And there's actually a, um, a formal definition that goes along with that. It's a country that either engages in or allows uh, ongoing, systematic, egregious persecution uh, when it comes to religious freedom. So either the government is directly engaged in it, uh, as many countries are, or they enable it or allow it by not trying to stop it. And so it's a, it's a significant de designation. As you said, it often comes with um, sanctions that come against those countries, although oftentimes those sanctions are waived. In fact, in the case of Nigeria, they were not operating under the sanctions. They had been waived. But it still becomes a, a stigma issue. And it is something that the other nations looked about and say, hey, what's going on there? You need to get your, your house in order. And I think I heard from a lot of people, and I know you did in Nigeria after the Trump administration uh, put them onto the CPC list, there was a lot of hope that maybe, maybe, uh, some stability would be brought to the country and the government would uh, stop the persecution of, of, of Christians and others in that country. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's not just one group of, of uh, terrorists. It's also, you know, there are Fulani terrorists that are in the in one part of the country. There's Boko Haram. And now Boko Haram is, has sort of signed on with ISIS or ISWAP, which is uh, West Africa province of, of the Islamic State. So, you know, we have these um, these various actors and why this isn't being addressed by the government is beyond me because it's, you know, it's affecting, it affects their, certainly their economy, 
There's also trouble in the, in the South with uprisings, the, the completely different issue. So it's the, the, the countries in turmoil, you'd think they would want to bring stability for no other reason to get along with, with the United States. But apparently they're getting along just fine with the United States without correcting anything. Yeah, yeah. I should also add that these terrorist groups are actually well-equipped and armed, in some cases better trained and better equipped uh, than the Nigerian uh, forces. Uh, Leela, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. A lot of issues covering today, just a lot of them pertaining to religious freedom. And I, I want to go back and underscore, I was on uh, CBN News earlier today talking about this, about Christian engagement. Uh, there's this whole effort of uh, trying to label Christians involved in government as Christian nationalists. You know, religious right didn't work. In fact, we embraced it as kind of a badge of honor, if you will, that we were engaged. And so they've gone to something else that would try to have a negative uh, connotations attached to it to try to discourage Christians from being involved. This is why we're involved. We don't look to government as, the, as our salvation or our hope. My hope is not here in Washington, D.C., but I'm here because I have hope within me that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're to be salt and we're to be light. And so what we have to do is a part of the body of Christ in sharing our faith means we often, often have to make sure that the policies that under which we live respect that right and that freedom so we can live out our faith. Moms and dads, we can raise our children to walk with the Lord as communities, that we can embrace our faith publicly and not be fearful. So we've got to be involved in these things, but our hope is not here. But I will tell you, you're seeing right before you unfold the consequences of elections. We need to be informed and we need to be involved. Folks, thanks so much for being with us. We're out of time. Join us tonight for our Pray Vote Stand. It is at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org, about being thankful. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.